Chapter 19 of The Cave in the Mountain by Edward Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 19 How It Was Done. From the very depths of despair, Mickey O'Rooney and Fred Munson were lifted to the most buoyant heights of hope. I always took you for a hoodlum, growled the scout, but you've just showed yourself a bigger one than I supposed. You order fetched a lantern with you so as to use nights in walking around the country and looking for folks. Begorra, if that isn't the idea, responded the Irishman with mock enthusiasm. Only I was considering, wouldn't it be as well to call out the name of me friends? You know what a sweet voice I have. When I used to try and sing in church, the old gentleman always lambasted me for filing the saw on Sunday. But why don't you creep forward and extend me your paw, as the bear said to the man? Sut, however, did not move, but retained his crouching position beside the large boulder, speaking in the lowest and most guarded voice. It won't do. We haven't any time to fool away hereabouts. Is that younger we you? Right at me heels, as me uncle concluded when the bulldog nabbed him. Come ahead, then. Shoot me, but this ain't a healthy place to loaf in just now. The patches are too plenty and too close. We must light out. Shan't I strike another match to light us out by? Hold your tongue, will you? Creep right along behind me without making any noise at all, and don't rise to your feet till you see me do it. And don't open your meat traps to speak till I axes you a question if it isn't till a month from now. Do you understand me? Mickey replied that he had a general idea of his meaning and that he might as well go ahead with the circus. Fred had caught the whispered conversation and, of course, knew what it meant. As Mickey turned round to see where he was, he found him at his elbow. Shh, come ahead now. We're going to creep straight across the pass till we reach the other side, and we'll go down that some ways, and I'll tell you the rest. A second or two afterward, the long, wiry frame of the scout emerged from the dense shadow at the side of the boulder and crept forward in the direction of the middle of the main ravine or pass. Close behind him followed Mickey and Fred, the trio forming a curious procession as they carefully picked their way across the moonlit gorge, the grass for most of the distance being so dense that they were pretty well screened from view. The directions of the scout were carefully obeyed to the letter, for indeed there could have been no excuse for disregarding them. He understood perfectly the nature of the task he had undertaken, and the risk he ran was entirely for the benefit of his friends. One of the first and most important requisites of a scout is patience, without which he is sure to commit all manner of errors. In the present case, it seemed to Fred that much valuable time could be saved if they would simply rise to their feet and make a dash straight across the ravine. Even Mickey was of the same opinion, at least to the extent of varying the pace so as to go slowly part of the time and rapidly the rest, as the ground became unfavorable or favorable but it was very clear that Sut Simpson held very different views. A piece of machinery could not have advanced with a more regular movement than did he, a movement that was excessively trying to an impatient person who could not understand his reason for it. Mickey could see that he turned his head from side to side and was using his eyes and ears to the extent of their ability. 
At the end of some fifteen or twenty minutes, the base of the perpendicular wall on the opposite side was reached, and greatly to the relief of his companions, he rose to his feet, they following suit. "'Begorra, but that's a sweet relief, as me Aunt Bridget observed when her old man—' A turn of the head and an impatient gesture from the scout silenced Mickey before he had time to complete the remark. He subsided instantly, and began a debate with himself as to whether he ought not to apologize for his forgetfulness, but he concluded to wait. The long, lank figure of Sut Simpson looked as if it was a shadow slowly stealing along the dark face of the rock, followed by that of Mickey and the lad. They were as silent as phantoms, each walking as tenderly and carefully as though he was a burglar breaking into the house of some sleeping merchant whose slumbers were as light as down. Mickey had no doubt that this was continued twice as long as necessary, although he conscientiously strove to carry out the wishes of the scout in that respect. He stumbled once or twice, but that was because of the treacherous nature of the ground. They must have journeyed fully a quarter of a mile in this fashion before Sut held up in the least. During all this time, so far as Mickey could judge, nothing had been seen or heard of the Apaches, who supposedly would have guarded the outlet in which the two had taken refuge with a closeness that could not have permitted such an escape. But not one had been encountered. It was a most extraordinary occurrence all through, and Mickey found it hard to understand how one man, skilled and brave though he was, could perform such a Herculean task for there could be no doubt that to him under providence belonged the exclusive credit. Of course it was Sut who had fired the shot that saved Fred from a terrible death by the grizzly bear, and his well-aimed and opportune shots had done the fugitives inestimable service when they were crouching in the fissure and despairing of all hope. But there must have been something back of all this. The scout must have possessed a greater power which had not become manifest to his friends as yet. "'Now you can walk with more ease,' he said, as he dropped back beside his companions. "'But at the same time, don't talk too loud. Let us all keep as much in the shed as we can, for there may be other varmints around, and there's no telling when you're likely to run again them. "'But where are the spalpeens that shut us up in that split in the rocks?' "'They're all behind us, every varmint of them, and there they're likely to stay for a while. "'But, Mickey, I want you to tell me what happened after we parted among these mountains "'and took different routes for the younger here.' "'The Irishman related his experience in as brief a manner as possible, "'the scout listening with a great deal of interest and asking a question or two. The luck was yours, he said, when the narrator concluded, of getting on the right track while I got on the wrong. Mickey scratched his head in his old quizzical way. The same luck befell the Spalpeens and myself. I first got on their track, and then they got on mine, so we'll call that square as Mike Harrigan did when he went back the second night and took the other goat so as to make a pair. That was now to a bad fix when you're pitched into that cave and couldn't find the way out till the wolf showed the younker. But it wasn't so bad as you think, cause I'd been sure to find you were there. I know the way in and out of it, and I could have got into it and fixed you out, but you were lucky enough not to need me. How was it that you were so long turning up after we separated? 
Well, Lone Wolf in his braves rode so fast that it was a good while for I cotched up and found that he hadn't the younger with him. Then, in course, I turned back and found that you'd flopped so much off and on your trail that there was a good deal of trouble to keep track of you. Where did you first catch the light of Mickey O'Rooney's elegant and expressive countenance? I saw you stop to camp this morning a good ways up the pass where you cooked your piece of antelope meat and swallowed enough to last you for a week. It was you that shot the grizzly bear just as he was going to kill me? inquired Fred with a pleased look in the scarred face of the scout who smiled in turn as he answered, I have a suspicion it were me and nobody else. Why didn't you come forward and introduce yourself? inquired Mickey. It was all a mistake to think that we felt too proud to notice ye, even if ye ain't as good-looking as myself. Well, I thought I'd watch yer while, believing I could do ye more service than by joining in, as was showed by what took place afterwards. Where would you have been? If I'd got shit up in that trap with ye, Lone Wolf would have had our hair long ago. But how did you manage to fool the pack into giving us a chance to creep out? That was easy enough when you understand it. I thought it would come easier to a man who understood how to do it than it did to one who didn't know anything about it. After picking off one or two of the varmints, that made Lone Wolf mad, and he sent out a couple of his warriors to wipe me out. He didn't think I knowed his game, but I did, and when they got around to where I was, I just slid him under before they knowed what the matter was. When he sent a third varmint arter them, and he went back and told the chief that the first two had gone to the eternal hunting grounds, he was so all fired mad that he left only a half dozen to watch the hole where you was to come out, while he took the rest and come arter me. I know a good many a lone wolf signals, added the scout with a chuckle, and arter he'd been on this side for a while, I dipped down into the pass and signaled for the rest of them to come. They come, every one of them, and then I went for you, not certain whether you were mashed or not. We got away in good time to save ourselves running again them. End of chapter 19 Read by Thomas Rose